Well met, traveler. Come on in. The name's Sarah, and you're listening to Critical Catastrophe. Every week, I'll be exploring all things Dungeons & Dragons, from opinions and advice to sharing the stories of fellow tabletop gamers. Of course, everyone is welcome at this table, whether you're a DM, a player, or just passing through. Welcome to episode two. It's time for a party chat, and I am so pleased to have my first guest ever on Critical Catastrophe be a longtime friend of mine who I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons with for almost three years now. I am the DM of a long-running campaign called Magic Arai, and this special guest is a player who plays the fantastic, bubbly bard Samira Sunrise. You'll find we're both kind of awkward nerds having an awkward, nerdyish conversation, both a little bit podcast shy, and that is a-okay. So, Please join us as we just kind of chat about what we love about Dungeons & Dragons, why we play, and some of the experiences we've had playing together and with other groups. So come along with us on this party chat, and hopefully you can relate to some of these things we're discussing. And hey, if you want to be part of a discussion like this, if you just want to have a casual party chat, feel free to reach out. There'll be more information at the end of the episode. Without further ado, please welcome... Amy. So welcome, Amy. Thanks for joining me. It's so good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to talk to you, of course, about Dungeons and Dragons and how you got into hobby and what you love about it. And also, I guess, the creative aspects of it. So how did you get started in Dungeons and Dragons? Well, um, my first game was pretty much something that my husband had thought up. He'd played in college and really enjoyed it. And we had a group of friends that most of them had never played before, myself included. So decided he would host a campaign as run it as the DM and we would join in. And so that's kind of where it began. Created a character, hopped in, gave it a go. I've heard that's kind of the way a lot of people start, especially women, is that their significant other kind of invites them and brings them into the fold. A lot like how I did with Fran. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of an interesting observation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's a great way to get into Dungeons & Dragons, because some people, they have to kind of find a table to play at and go into game shops and play with strangers. So getting to start with the person you're closest to and a bunch of friends, that is pretty cool. Pretty lucky in that regard. It's something I'd heard about when I was younger, too. It was just like another game, and nobody I knew around me at that time had actually been playing it or talked about it much or anything. So it was kind of one of those things that was put on the back burner until... He'd mention it, and then I'm like, sure, I've always kind of been curious, so here we go. Yeah, that's the same for me, too. Like, I heard about it as, I don't know, a 12-year-old, maybe? 9, 12? And I'd seen some books and looked through them and thought they were really interesting, but I never actually dreamed of playing it until I met you guys. Yeah. And so that was a, a cool way to get into it. What edition did you start with? I guess it would have been the 3.5. It's really hard to remember much about it at this point, but... Yeah, it was older. Five wasn't out yet. Yeah, and that was the edition that I started playing with you guys with as well. Uh, 3.5e, and I think some Pathfinder that maybe Corey did. Yeah, I do remember that there was some Pathfinder. Several, like, short ones, I think, with that. Yeah, yeah, and I I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but for me, it just kind of all bled together and Mm -hmm. became this jumbled mess of D&D slash Pathfinder, not really knowing what was going on. Yeah. What was your experience like with that? Um, like, I guess, like, the different characters and some of the parties and stuff, I can kind of remember them being pieced apart over time. Like, this was part of this, and this wasn't, you know? But when it comes to, like, the rules and stuff like that, because I'm not sure how many of them were 
D&D versus how many were Pathfinder. It was just kind of like, here's your sheet, go ahead and fill it out and hop at the table and play. And which category it was, kind of didn't really know. Same, same, thinking back on it. Which I guess makes sense because Pathfinder is pretty much like an upgraded version of 3.5 or like, you know, just like mm-hmm. their spin on it. So it makes sense that it kind of all just became one thing. I sent you the 3.5 character sheet a little bit ago and I was taking a look at it with you. And my goodness, has it changed a bit since 3.5e? Yeah, there's definitely some things like the first thing that jumped out at me was seeing the different lines of knowledge. It's like there's all just one knowledge check, you know, or or is it even called knowledge? I'm trying to think of what what the modern sheet even looks like. But yeah, I guess it's not knowledge check. But seeing all of them broke out like that in the spaces, like this is this particular type and this is this particular type. A little different. And now that you mention it, thinking about it, I don't actually know if it is called a knowledge check. I think I might just call it a knowledge check and then specify if it's arcana or religion. Mm-hmm. But when I call for one, I'm like, hey, roll a knowledge check. And then you guys look at me like, which one? Because <laughs> I don't think it's called that anymore. But I could be mistaken. It kind of get that, that bleeding effect from different editions kind of pouring into each other. Um, you know, you might still hear people say uh, a will save or something to that effect. Yeah, a lot of the old school terminology is definitely stuck around and I guess could be really confusing for new players hopping, hopping in at 5e. They'd be like, what do you mean make a knowledge check? <laughs> I can't find... Yeah, and to that point, uh, something I wanted to bring up is 3.5 had a lot more rules. It was a lot more dense and a lot more like crunch to the mechanics, which I think can be super intimidating for a new player. I know it was for me. And... You know, when we discussed it before, you brought up this really great point about the creative box. And I wonder if 3.5 had less of a creative box or helped build that box. So I just kind of wanted to talk to you about that a little bit. So when you say creative box, what do you mean by that? I guess I guess for me, it was the fact that like, I thinking about this a little bit more is like when I was a teenager, I used to write stories, create characters and worlds and stuff all the time, but they never had any like strict outside rules. It was whatever I wanted to make of it. Well, suddenly I'm at this table with people. We're creating stuff, but it has to fit these rules and guidelines. So that way we all can, you know, share in the universe together. But it was hard to know sometimes, I guess, like what should have been easy to know, but it was like, what was a battle mechanic versus a you can't make your character this way or you can't create this element of fiction to go in here and like sometimes just seeing so many rules and having to learn like all the combat and memorize different types of roles and things you would do I think it got to be really overwhelming and sometimes at least for me anyway stifling in trying to figure out what I could do creatively while having to adhere to all of this. For sure, that can be a lot to manage when you just want to exercise some creative freedom but not know what you can actually do because the rules are confusing. Yeah. And if you've ever been told by a DM like, oh, you can't do that because that's not how it works, mm-hmm. you know, that can be a bit of a turnoff even if it is just part of how the game should run. Yeah. It can make someone maybe a little hesitant to try something that creative and out of the box again, at least for a little while as they get used to things. I don't know if that was your experience, but just an observation. I do remember like a lot of, well, I guess it doesn't work that way or you can't exactly do that here. But I think it was, then I started questioning, well, what can I do? I know that that question would come to mind. What, what things am I able to do? And then there was like, I don't know, it was just really, I guess a little overwhelming at first trying to keep all of that straight while role-playing. So the first first D&D session, while I very much enjoyed it, was 
pretty rough. I mean, trying to get into everything. Oh, yeah. I was so confused. And I, I was starting with you guys, which was a great safety net. But at the same time, I don't even remember if I filled out my first character sheet or if someone, I think it must have been Kyle, who just like handed it to me. I don't remember actually creating Vex other than giving her a name. That's, that's how much of a blur it was for me. But when it comes to the rules mechanic, you know, kind of aspect of the game, 3.5, while it has more rules and it's more dense and it has all of these different skills that I'm looking at now, like you have a skill for appraising, skills for bluffing and uh, different types of crafting, decipher script. Decipher script, that's really cool. There's a whole skill for that. Yeah. You have all these skills. And I don't know, what do you think? In a way, does that kind of open up possibilities to you because it gives you an idea of all these things you can do? Or is it more like you feel that these are rigid, the only things you can do? I think like looking back on it now, being a more experienced player and having played other versions and stuff over the course of several years, I think that it's not nearly as daunting as it used to be. Like initially it's like, whoa, I've got these like five different knowledge stats to keep track of. But it also at the same time could cause you to craft like a more interesting character in a way. Like you might have knowledge in one particular area, but maybe you don't know much of anything about another subject. And it kind of adds an element of realism to it instead of just a general knowledge check would do. Yeah. And then you can have characters that specialize. And so we in our party have two very different rogues, but imagine having all these different skills. They could be even more different. Yeah, because I, like, I see stuff that might kind of coordinate with, like, there's a climb check and a tumble check, and I imagine most of that's just under athletics now. Yeah, athletics and acrobatics would pretty much replace that entirely. There's a jump as well, so, like, yeah, you could have one that might be really good at jumping, but no upper body strength, so climbing is <laughs> kind of kind of poor. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, with athletics and the new, new, I don't know if they're new, but the rules for jumping, you know, definitely changes that dynamic. That's something 5e just kind of did across the board, is it simplified things to the point where you can define just about any acrobatics into the acrobatic skills, whether that's tumbling, jumping, running. Mm -hmm. Running might fall under athletics. But the point still stands that it's very simplified and even a bit watered down. And I, I just wonder if that opens up more creativity to say, like, well, all of these things could be athletics, or does it narrow the focus to the point where you stop thinking about all of the other things that it could encompass, if that makes any sense? Hmm. I haven't really thought about that one. But for me, anyway, if I had, you know, with, with the board just broad athletics, it probably would at least make it open to trying various things. Whereas, you know, if, you're, if you knew your character specialized in jumping but not tumbling, it might make you a little bit more hesitant, like, oh, I don't have any bonuses to this particular stat. I'm not going to even try it. Even if it seems a little out of character to do it, you know, it, it maybe opens up a little bit of freedom to try with a more generalized one. But yeah, like certain things on here, you know, specializing like climbing and tumble. Yeah, thinking about it, it's like they would obviously fall under something like athletics, acrobatics, but they might not be something I initially think of with athletics and acrobatics. That's a great point you make, though, about deciding to try things not based on what the skill value is, but just because you want to try it. And I, I think 5e does lend more to that because your skills encompass so much more. But it's kind of sad to think people might not want to try something because they have a plus zero in that stat, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I think that 
I don't know, like seeing it could be like a little daunting sometimes. It's like, well, you know, I'm not very good at this. I have a plus zero in this, but maybe somebody else in the party has a plus seven in it. So it might just be better if they make said role. Like perception would be something that would be useful. I mean, like perception's pretty benign in that regard. If you even if you don't see something, you just don't see something, there's not a lot of consequences. You're not gonna fall in a chasm and die. But unless you don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, so it's, but it, you might be like, well, I'll just leave it up to such and such person to do that, which is not really the greatest thing, I guess, in regard, because it kind of limits the player a little bit. But maybe in the sense that your character genuinely wouldn't have interest in trying something or doing something just because they knew they weren't good at it, it might make sense to be like, well, okay, this character really would not want to try to jump right now. They suck at it, so they just won't do it. Do you feel like having played 5th edition for going on three years, <laughs> approaching three years now, that some of that creative, you know, that, that box that was put around you, has some of that come down? You feel a little more liberated in that regard or no? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like over time you kind of, when you get more familiarized with the rules, then they're less looming over time. And you don't have to think about them as much, so you can put more creative energy towards actual like your characters and what you know you want to write for their stories and enjoying even everybody else's because you're less focused on how do I need to act in the next moment what can I do what can't I do you just are able to pay more attention and kind of in you know just absorb and create a little bit more in that regard plus it's like just over time over going on three years now you know having a similar campaign and stuff like that you uh you kind of get a feel for it overall what you can and can't do which a lot of it is kind of where i was going with that though was i know that by seeing other people's creativity in our campaign over time has definitely showed me that i could do more when you're focused on the rules you don't see everything so much but seeing some of the love that like especially the love fran's thrown into all of her characters and the artwork she does for it and stuff it's just it's inspiring it really is. And, you know, knowing she's just kind of, she's not clinging to some rules, like I have to make everything perfectly fit over time. It's the, this is the story. Yeah, she might be following, well, I want it to work in the D&D universe and do XYZ and how she's creating it. But she's not like, you know, super religiously trying to cram something into a box the entire time. She's just creating and it's turning out beautifully. And it's inspiring to see that seeing what everybody brings to the table and the uniqueness in it. Cause some people focus on interpersonal drama. Some people have like uh, diplomatic sort of plots and stuff like that. And it's just, it's neat to see where everyone's coming from. Exactly. I've, I've found that dungeons and dragons or really any tabletop game in general that involves role playing and creativity, it just kind of feeds that creativity and then it keeps building and building until you know, you just have this incredible creative output. I think there's something to be said for once you kind of understand the rules and can work within them a little more, you can really start making the rules work for you as well. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, during the one shot we were playing, your character was trying to bring back uh, Matt's character. Wow, I can't remember his name now. Travis. Basically Colonel Mustang. Travis, thank you. Uh, bringing back Travis from being knocked down. and it would have been unfortunate because it would have taken your whole action, your whole turn to just use Spare the Dying. Mm -hmm. But and this is like the worst rule to remember for some reason. But there's a rule for casting two spells on one turn. And knowing that rule, you get to have another spell on your turn with a bonus action uh, cantrip combination, which makes your turn that much more interesting instead of being like, well, I guess I'll just 
spare him and just sit here. Just, a, just an example of like the way that rules can make playing more fun in a way. Yeah, yeah, I could agree with that because that bonus action spell. I don't know how many times I've just completely forgotten it exists, and you're just like, anything else you want to do on your turn? Um, I think I've done everything I can. Yeah, <laughs> completely it, missing out. It's such a weird rule too because I have to like write it down and look at it every so often just to remember exactly how it works, and I think that can be kind of difficult for newer players or people who don't play frequently yeah and i think the it's there's a section in D D beyond on the character sheet that kind of like points out spells that fall under the bonus action ability for like particular cantrips you can use in that but it's hard to remember it's like you can use this as a bonus action but it's like well under what circumstances does this, does this count as a bonus action and that's just like a whole nother aspect of rules to be familiar <laughs> with and even just the action economy mm -hmm. so you know, for newer players, that can all be very intimidating, but I think it goes a long ways to be able to rely a little bit on the dungeon master, especially as you are a newer player, mm -hmm. and just say, I want to try and do this, and the dungeon master will mechanically figure out how it works, and you can kind of learn from that pattern. Mm -hmm. So there was a great moment when Samira, uh, you know, she wanted to pour some poison down the throat of a of a monster or a person. I think it was a monster. I think I it was a monster. monster. <laughs> Yeah, she wanted to pour some uh, poison down the throat, uh, unrefined poison that you got from a purple worm. And there's some rules around that, like, I mean, there's not enough rules around that, honestly, yeah. but some rules around that, like, you know, it actually takes a whole action to do this thing, or there's actually no defined rule for taking out poison and pouring it down someone's throat. And that's where the dungeon master just has to be like, this is creative, and it's fun, and there's nothing overpowered about it. But it's memorable. I remember it. And if I remember it, then that's really impressive. <laughs> I have such a bad memory. Yeah, I think it's just so much more fun to just kind of like try and make it work within the rules and have fun with it. Yeah. And I mean, even for that, I don't know that you could have a rule for every single circumstance of trying to dump poison down somebody's throat anyway. So you <laughs> kind of have to think about, well, like, what is the general action that's being had here? Like, could this thing resist? I mean, I could understand it's it's still like... Like you said, the DMs call at the end, but there's like some of those things that could be taken into consideration and within, I guess, deciding whether it would work or not of kind of what's the general gist of this? Would it actually have, be able to be possible to do said thing? And that's where just letting your creativity kind of run wild and have the DM fill in the blanks is what's fun about Dungeons and Dragons, especially if there aren't rules for things, then you're kind of, you got that creative freedom. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a little bit ago that even before playing Dungeons and Dragons, you would invent characters and stories and, you know, just interesting things that really had nothing to do with D&D, &D, especially before you got into it. How has playing Dungeons and Dragons impact that personal creativity now? Well, it's, I'd say it's definitely been inspiring to it. Like I like I'd mentioned earlier too, um, seeing other people doing it, it's kind of, I don't know. It was one of those things when I was younger, I kind of told myself, this is cheesy. This is weird that I'm doing this and got into busy with adult life and jobs and stuff like that and put it on the back burner. But seeing other people embrace it and then also having D&D &D type inspiration for a lot of, you know, creative ideas and stuff, it's it's fed into it. It's been a good outlet for it, too. I can definitely agree with it being a huge creative inspiration for ideas, you know, as a dungeon master. I'm constantly thinking of how can I make this interesting or what can I put this into? But it also makes me realize that I think I'm creative, 
but sometimes I'm really just not, <laughs> you know, like uh, when, you, when you see all of the ideas out there and like personally, I feel like there's so much more that can be done from like a perspective of weaving stories together and creating interesting things that, you know, once you've been through like the 13th forest and fought your hundredth orc, like you can really get so many more creative stories and the players help with that. The players really do, especially if you just kind of have a standard go fight the evil thing campaign. When you get the creative stories involved from the characters of, you know, the the, the cultists uh, from the backstory or the uh, the political intrigue from, you know, <laughs> the, the backstory of Samira as she, um, you know, dates the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Samira has been incredible like the way you play Samira and you just invent things on the fly is both really cool and something that I am shocked to learn some DMs don't allow like imagine the times when you have said like Samira's from this uh traveling like circus troupe and she knew this orc and blah 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 blah. like <laughs> like some some people don't allow that I'm like what maybe I had that fear initially that there would be it seems weird now looking at it like how would that affect anything? Because, like, you know, she's not with, you know, a traveling group of performers right now. I mean, debatable party. But, <laughs> but you know, it's like, how would that affect anything? You know, the only, like, when I mentioned something about her having an orc, you know, friend or something in the backstory, that was almost like a creative way of why she knows how to speak orc. Like, as a human, you get all these extra bonuses and stuff like that, where it's like, you can suddenly learn another language. And she's got, like, seven of them now. So it's like, what inspired her to do that? So it's just, like, flavor text, almost, on something, and not really... So it does seem really weird in hindsight to think that somebody would be so strict that you couldn't write a backstory that way. But I think maybe knowing some people would be rigid like that might have, like, subconsciously at least knowing that, might have been some of the box sort of feeling that I had in the beginning like well what story is going to be too out there that suddenly I can't do it like where's the line of normalcy I guess versus this is too weird and that's the thing that example is particularly benign you know because it's just an org mm -hmm. character in your backstory that you know doesn't even really he might have had a name I don't know I can't remember I don't, I don't think I ever gave him a name it was just she has an orc in her performance troupe and they talked and <laughs> a nameless orc but <laughs> that that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> the unnamed NPC. Uh, but when you get to things like what was it, the Curse of Strahd, a uh, couple couple sessions we had, and your characters hailed from you know very different places, kind of outside the general realm. Mm -hmm. And I think that can feel a little threatening to some people, especially if they've created their own um, you know their own continent, their own world, and you know, and suddenly there's this other continent invented outside of it. Like, mm -hmm. I understand how that can threaten some DMs, but it still doesn't, like, do anything to the story, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, as long as the story's not being pulled in a direction where it's like, we have to stop what we're doing and the entire plot to honor this completely different world and realm that's been created over here, you know, I don't see a harm in that. Now, if a player were like, here's the thing, here's my life, we're going to honor this, we're going to stop and have an entire story arc about it, I'm like, I could see that being problematic, <laughs> just because it <laughs> yeah. derails things, but... I guess, like, maybe the impact on the the campaign itself and the other players involved, that's kind of what has to be weighed in some of those things. But if it has no impact, then what does it matter, I guess? So we both agree that being new to Dungeons & Dragons or most tabletop games can be 
quite intimidating and there can be a lot of rules to figure out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Knowing what you know now and, you know, knowing that you started in 3.5 and really got into fifth edition, I mean, what would you tell new players to like reassure them that they can play D&D? I know it's probably not comforting to everybody, but the once you get in and you know get a feel for it you'll figure it out like because i mean like it, i don't know to me i learned through experience so you know that's one of the best ways to do is jump in there and start doing stuff it can feel overwhelming it's still going to even if you learn by experience but it's one of those things it's like this looks weird but just like probably everything else that you've seen before when you have no context for any of it it is going to be a little bit daunting at first you know because it will be you're, you've got a lot of learning to do of what this means and how it relates to this. But, you know, once you get in there, even just like one little rule at a time before you know it, you'll you'll understand it. Plus, you know, if they were to join like our campaign or something, have you as a DM, you've been a great DM of, you know, trying to explain things and make sure that people are able to participate and have fun and enjoy the session regardless of their skill level. So, I mean, having a good DM, a group of good friends and time. I think that definitely helps. All you need, three really hard to find things. <laughs> no, I kid. Uh, yeah, but I thank you so much. I appreciate that. And you brought up a really cool point, and that is the way you learn is through experience, and everyone learns differently. Yeah. Like they just kind of learn in your own way and take your time with it. You know, there's, there's value, of course, in learning the rules and being able to play at a consistent pace. There we go. That's what I'll go with. Yeah, you you weren't in that session, but Christopher, I think he might just learn through like osmosis, like touch the book, understands <laughs> how to play the game, kind of like Fran does, where some people just look at the rules, absorb it, and they're ready to go, and that's cool. But not everyone can put all of those pieces together and connect all the dots and see how this rule in you know this chapter relates to this rule in this chapter, like mm -hmm. potions, man. <laughs> <laughs> potions are interesting. Yeah, I definitely envy that osmosis learning because I'm like, man, that'd be useful. And the, the times that sometimes I do think, though, whenever we're playing, I'm like, oh, I hope the people that have just like absorbed this, you know, they're just not like, oh, my God, Amy, get your stuff together. Like, how could you how could you you've been playing how long and you don't memorize this? And I'm like, I don't know. I just suck at memorizing it. But now I'll remember it because I have this emotion attached to it where I got grilled. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> All it's right, that's that a new bad. way to get people to remember the rules is to shame them into it. She was mean to me, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> no, hopefully, hopefully that's not a reoccurring feeling. It's not. In fact, more often it's like just a memorable, maybe like something's happening in the scene. More benign. It's yeah, it's just like a memorable moment. It's like, oh yeah, I failed at this moment because of X Y Z thing, and oh yeah, now I'll remember that rule. Yeah, like the, the rule for jumping is kind of interesting in that regard, because if you're just learning the game or you're coming from 3.5 and you're like, oh, I have a jump skill, I'm going to roll to see how far I jump, when in reality it is set in stone, you jump mm -hmm. this bar because that's your strength score. So you might have little Samira with no strength <laughs> hustling towards a cliff edge about to jump, and the dam's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and see, that would be memorable right there. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be. That never happened. <laughs> but yeah, if you're not sure how the jump how, how the jump rules work and you think okay i'm just gonna roll to jump across this gap and dm's like watching you fall into the water <laughs> and now you're dead roll new character <laughs> yes <laughs> no that's a terrible way to dm <laughs> do you have any 
really memorable moments that made you realize, wow, I want to keep playing Dungeons and Dragons? I'm trying to think, like, I mean, like, I think anytime I was ever able to utilize my environment or do something that really wasn't just like weapon or spell probably has been memorable. So like, I can think of like three different instances off the top of my head that kind of relates to this a little bit. And one of them's in our current campaign with Samira. Um, there was one section we were like at a gala or something and we got barricaded into this building and Samira's up on the second floor and I'm like trying to think about what spells and stuff I could like use out the window. They didn't have, we didn't have any of our weapons. They got it collected at the door. So I'm like, what can I do? And I had so much fun yoinking stuff off the wall and hurling it out the window at people, like pulling a bear head down, trying to literally take the kitchen sink and throw it out the window just because it was like, I get to improvise with my environment and use all this like fun, weird stuff that I normally wouldn't use because I'd be like, okay, well, I have this set of spells that are going to hit here and I have these weapons and these are what like kind of the rigid, these are the things I can do. It put me in a situation where I would be more like forced to improvise and stuff and it was just fun those are those are the moments i think that stand out to me the most it's like yeah i got to use the environment yeah i remember that one really well too and and that was super satisfying just having samira yeah rip the bear head off the wall and chuck it out the window <laughs> and hit a hit a zombie in the head and i'm so glad that like in my early days i was i don't know in tune enough to be able to make that happen and not be like no that's silly <laughs> and that it was such a memorable moment did you have any others? One, one, probably the earliest one I remember was actually from a campaign that Corey ran. I had an alchemist that like made and threw little bombs and stuff. And we were outside in like some sort of garden area or something. There was these water monsters coming up on both sides. And you know, the rest of the party is trying to fight the water monsters. And I'm like, what's, what's all in the environment? I'm looking around. I'm like, is anybody controlling these? And he says, well, you see up in the window that there's actually a group of mages looking like they're conjuring stuff. And I'm like, cool. I'm throwing a bomb up there at them. So it was just kind of like a, that one is, it wasn't so much like using, I guess, the environment itself as the improv, but it's like, what else is going on in my environment that is affecting what's, you know, the actual monster instead of just hitting it head on kind of doing a little bit of that investigation and being like, oh, well, what happens if I hit the mages instead? Well, suddenly they can't cast the water spell anymore and the water monsters are gone. So that was just a fun one too. Because I bet Corey as the DM was really expecting that you guys would just fight those water monsters and call it a day. Whereas you, you were able to shift the narrative and what happened. And that is super empowering to a player. Yeah, it felt that way. I Like, seeing the look on his face, I I've really got the feeling that was not what he had intended for us to do in that battle. And so there's a bit of that, like, oh, I hope I didn't, like, destroy, you know, his plans or anything too much, you know? But story went on, you know, narrative changed and stuff. But, yeah, it was, it was definitely a fun moment of, yes, I figured out something here that just by, you know, observing the environment and taking that in instead of just straight, you know just combat because i think sometimes that's a thing too is like just because you are in combat doesn't mean you need to be in combat or that's the only way to handle it you might be able to handle it through diplomacy or just running depending on the circumstance oh yeah as a player i've had to well, as a character i've had to run away a few times hopefully not as a player <laughs> running away from the table uh definitely there are other ways to handle combat handle encounter rather mm -hmm. you mentioned not every combat needs to be a combat and that makes me think of video games where a lot of video games even some of the best most like open world and creative rpgs out there there's very specific ways to handle a situation and if you go talk to your friends about it later they'll have a very similar story even if they kind of solve the puzzle a little bit different whereas i think that's the beauty of tabletop gaming is you get to i mean you really get that freedom 
where you just kind of like break the game, so to speak, mm-hmm. by doing something that's not scripted. Yeah, I would agree with that. And kind of along that same vein, I think that maybe video games are responsible for the box feeling of what you can and can't do. Because like you said, they're packaged to deliver a very particular experience. You know, certain games obviously have the almost like choose your own adventure sort of thing that is very much added to them. But for the most part, it's, you know, you sometimes tell somebody, no, I don't want to do this. And they make you do it anyway, because that's the linear path that's going. And so I think to players that have played a lot of video games over time, when they're at the table trying to get introduced into into tabletop gaming and stuff, that's, it's like, wait a second, what do you mean I can't just go in this straight line? I could go over here instead or do this. And yeah, tabletop gaming gives like so much more freedom in that regard. As soon as you realize you have the power to do and you don't have to stick to one straight line script. Definitely. And speaking of a straight line, I don't know how much you remember of this, but when I started this campaign, you were not in the first session because you weren't really sure if you actually wanted to start up a D&D campaign, which is fair. It's a huge time commitment. But I remember the first session, and I'm going to go off of the straight lines thing. They had a, a path that they were following to you know, make their way to the border from this one kingdom. And I was a very silly DM. You know, first time I was like, it's raining, guys. There's a path off of the main path leading into the woods. You should really be going on that. And they just wanted to, you know, like keep going on the road. I'm like, why would you do that? There's a path to the <laughs> side here that you should go down. And 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 so it it might be a combination of like, well, they're expecting to just kind of like, you know, keep going in the direction they're supposed to be going. And also what a silly quest hook that was to begin with. But I remember having that experience and coming to you a couple days later and just kind of talking to you like, I need someone to help them. I really, I really need someone to help me, I think. And that's how Samira got involved. Session two, <laughs> coercing them to go into that little cavern. And that was that was kind of the inspiration for how I created her, too, is like just hearing a little bit of like the party's personalities. A lot of people were serious. They were focused on the task at hand. And so it kind of, I guess, made sense for their characters to just be doing that. But it sounded like, oh, the party kind of seems like it needs a little bit of a shakeup. So I'm like, what is everything that they're not doing? And I'm going to craft a character around that as like her main being. And that's kind of how Samira came to be so weird and off the wall and jumping at every side quest, basically. Oh, thank goodness for Samira. Yeah. and. So much of that uh, was definitely on me as a new DM being like, what do you mean you're not going to the thing I want you to go to? Ah. Uh, So having Samira there to help out a little bit and be like, hey, guys, let's go check out this random side quest that has nothing to do with what we're doing really helped. I can't even do a close (laughs) Samira impression. My voice doesn't go high enough. This is it. This is all I got. I don't know how I actually do it. It's 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 like she has a voice, though. Like, it's almost like it gets a little bit higher and more nasally or something like that. Kind of like that. (laughs) That, Yeah, sounds about right. (laughs) So I guess you've had experience as both a DM and a player. I mean, do you have any like thoughts, I guess, on kind of the contrasting feelings of both roles, I guess? Or like what what you prefer about each over the other? Is there anything? Ah, the tables have turned. That is a, a great question. And I think in a way, once you've DM'd, you can never really go back. And I don't like the concept of the forever DM, which is basically someone who only gets to DM and they never get to play, I think opening up the table to players to be a DM and giving yourself a chance to play is a really great idea and spreads that knowledge. But to answer your question, when I play D&D now, I think of it 
in a much more thoughtful way. And that I want to make sure that like all the other players at the table get a chance to try their ideas and have their ideas be heard and make the life of the DM just a little bit easier. Like I've gotten pretty good at just like not interrupting or not derailing in the middle of like an important thought. I've gotten pretty good about that because I know it can be a bit jarring as a DM when that does happen, even if it happens for like the best of intentions. Did that answer the question? Kind of. I mean, it gave like some good description about your feelings and thoughts on like the dynamics between what it's like to play as a player versus, you know, DM and how being a DM actually gives insight into what the other side of the table is like versus a player that's never had that. You just don't know. And I think maybe even more to that point, as a DM, if you haven't played in a while, or there's some DMs who have never played at all, if you haven't done that in a while, you kind of can lose sight of like what's fun. You lose sight maybe a little bit of like keeping the players in control mm -hmm. and not just kind of like forcing things upon them. So I think it's really important to get some of that playing experience so that you can get back in touch with what makes it fun, what makes it open, and, you know, that kind of thing. You know, but to the, the player's credit, while DMs ro run the whole world, like, they have to keep all the world moving in their brain, it's weirdly difficult to be a player and grasp all the information that the DM just knows. Like, when the DM invents things, they know it. And then the players have to pick up on all yeah. those things. And see, I would think that would be difficult as a DM to, like, I guess even... <sighs> Like, just the writing and creative creative stuff I do, I forget half the time what I've actually shared and what I haven't. So it's like, well, how many layers of detail do I have to get through to get this person up to speed? Well, when you're the DM and you have all the world knowledge in your head, it's like, how much of it have I told the player? How much have I not? How much should I tell them and leave the rest mystery for them to ask and inquiry about? So I can imagine that's kind of a little difficult finding the appropriate balance there as a DM. Oh yeah, I forget all the time what I've said or not said, which is why notes are important. And remembering to read those notes is also yeah. important. And that's that's something like even as a player I try to do on occasion and sometimes fail at, kind of depending on, you know, what all's going on is at least just keeping a notebook out. So as the DM gives those details, yeah, there's a lot to absorb and whatnot, but part of it is maybe making a note of a name of somebody you need to find because it helps you out, you know, as well. You want to learn about the world that you're in, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I know as a player, you can get kind of tunnel vision too. Just like, all right, here's the quest or here's the thing I want to do. And, ooh, here's a good one. You know, the player can decide something. Like they decide this is the fact of the world and it's not the fact. But now their brain is totally closed off to all of their possibilities. Like this is what it means. This is what it does. And the DM's like, <laughs> no. You just decided that, but I never said that. The NPCs you're talking to never said that. Like, why did you think that? <laughs> and I've done that as a player where I'm like, ah, oh, it must work this way. Yeah, trying to figure out the mysteries of the world, but then having to remember that they're mysteries and you're merely guessing instead of these are hard evidence <laughs> along the way. Yeah, exactly that. So having played for, like I said, almost three years, plus however long you played 3.5, do you think you would ever want to DM? Do you feel like that's an option to you? As I mean, a like, I know that with our group, people would be open to it. I don't know that I ever would feel personally comfortable doing that. I like to think at least as a character in that, like, narrow scope, I can think on the fly and do stuff. But 
to try to craft an entire world that's evolving and do stuff, man, I, I, I don't know, like, I have, like, mad respect for you guys who can do that. I don't know if I would ever be able to actually do that and maybe give something completely engaging to people the entire time. So, I don't know, I've thought about it, but I don't, I don't know if it's for me. That mostly because of just the creative aspect and being able to think on the fly? Or is it also because there's so many, like, rules to work within with in D D five E. Yeah, I think like just the technical aspect of it of all the little details and stuff and knowing that I'm not the greatest at it. And I I know like there'd probably be two or three DMs at the table who would easily be able to be like, actually the rule is this and be like, okay, we we can go with that, but to, to cover my butt, <laughs> but I would feel like a student leading a class full of teachers in a way it would be a really weird experience. Dungeons and Dragons and maybe Pathfinder are really like the most popular tabletop role-playing game at this point. And even with 5th edition being kind of light on the rules compared to previous editions, they're still pretty intimidating to get into as a DM. And I have seen other people say effectively that I didn't enjoy DMing when I tried it, I didn't think I could ever be a DM, and then they try different systems. So there are so many other tabletop games out there and I'm just, like, scratching the surface. But I mentioned mm -hmm. Quest, right? I've mentioned Quest before, and that has, like, very simple rules and a huge emphasis on creativity. So the only dice you ever roll is a single D20. Huh. That's it. And there's not a whole lot of definition of, like, this is what you can and can't do. There aren't rules for jumping. There aren't really many mechanics defined. And I think that would be great for someone who maybe does just want to have, like, a fun creative story and give players who want to try DMing a much more, like, relaxing mm -hmm. chance at it. Yeah, I could see that. It could be less daunting for people to at least get into, and then they might enjoy that and want to try the full-on thing after. Go back to, like, D&D &D or Pathfinder or something along those lines. Kind of, like, grow into it. Mm -hmm. Amy, when you realized that you had gotten rid of that creative box, that you had broken out of it, what was the most liberating thing you got to do as a character mm -hmm. in the game? That's a hard one. Because I think like one of the biggest, I feel like everything just flows better, I guess, in game now of things. Like I worry less about the combat and I figure that, you know, you'll just like virtually chuck something at me if I mess something up and we'll just move on, you know, because that's <laughs> kidding, by the way. But, you know, it's just like I worry less about the rules, I guess, of of it. So it just kind of makes it so reacting on the fly of as Samira in game is just easier it's kind of what's going on right now and that's more or less what i'm focused on not so much of you know oh, what's the, all the technicalities i have to remember when my turn comes around so i guess that's probably what it's done like for the active active game maybe that's why you didn't even hesitate not even for a second when when that scoundrel mercenary tried to shank you in the back with a poison sword and you just you just turned around and Mm -hmm. What was it? That arcane hand just out of nowhere. Just boom. That was so satisfying. Like you didn't even blink. Yeah, it was just like like I was glancing through my spells and stuff while other people were going like, you know, I know there's things in my kit I haven't been using regularly because of circumstances or whatever or just forgetting they're there. And, you know, I saw it and I was going through. I'm like, could it apply in this battle? Eh, no, nah, not really. And then so whenever he did that, I was like, what would be a good way to restrain him? Boom. There we go. <laughs> big old magic hand. And for those of you who aren't aware, Arcane Hand is a D&D &D spell that's kind of like Master Hand from Super Smash Brothers, a huge hand that is very tough and strong. 
Mm-hmm. It's a good way to restrain somebody who was trying to stab you. And and I think like so, like another moment I really remember that kind of was one of those clicking moments of this is a fun thing. You know, this was like a cool um, thing I tried that was a little bit out of the ordinary that clicked was when we were playing in December and we had our one shot where Kyle ran it. Harlan was missing everything with his hits. And I, like, I was just like, okay, this man's got to be getting frustrated right now. What would he do? Okay. So then I basically turned to him. I'm like, okay, I want to kick this guy in the gut, pick him up by the back and throw him in the river. Can I do that? <laughs> it's like, well, like looking through the different actions and stuff you could do, give it a try, give it a roll and see if it happens. And so it was one of those things that is definitely not an ordinary action by any means. You're not just attacking or anything like that, but you know, it's it's give it a shot and see what happens. This kind of makes sense that you could pick somebody up if you're given enough time and chuck them in a river. But, you know, it was it was a fun moment. And, you know, ha- having that sort of creative liberty as a player, so long as it's not game breaking, I guess, you know, that's, that's a fun thing. Yeah. And that was probably a little bit different for you, too, because, you you know, in recent history, you used to playing that uh, that magic user, that bard who doesn't really punch people or pick people up or even really use melee often. Mm-hmm. So just conceiving an idea, not even knowing if it follows the rules and seeing if it works can be really exciting, especially when poor Harlan just <laughs> kept derping. Yeah, my rolls were terrible early on. It's like, here's this booming blade. Yeah, that's a one awesome, like, you know, infused attack. You're supposed to be able to do it. Miss, miss, miss. What, are you kidding me? How long is this going to continue? <laughs> so it was good fun. It was, and it was, it was fun to see, too. Well, Amy... Is there anything else you would like to share about your experience as a player? Um, for new players, this is a good experience to at least exercise some creativity. Get in there and try try something new. Never know what sort of world that's going to open up for you. Next thing you know, you might be drooling over Google Docs every moment of your waking day, just having a, a heyday creating stuff. Horrible addiction, but... <laughs> <laughs> No shame there. Spend that creative energy. Go wild with it. That's what the uh, the tabletop space is all about. And embrace it. Yep. I think that's good advice for people. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining me on Critical Catastrophe. It's been a blast chatting with you today. Yeah, thank you for having me here. It was fun. It's always nice to sit down, have a chat about D&D, and just kind of catch up with a good old friend. So thanks again, Amy, for taking the time to join me in this first guest episode. I really appreciate that, and it gives me a great jumping off point as I figure out what am I doing and how do I operate a podcast at all. Now that I have a little experience and have a good idea about my format, I want to open up that kind of conversation to other folks in the space who just want to have a sit down, whether you're a DM or a player, and just share your experiences about why Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop games are important to you, some of your best experiences, some of the great things you have planned for your campaign or your character arcs, whatever it is, I would love to have a chat with you, so feel free to reach out if you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode. And on that note, you can find me at my blog, criticalcatastrophe.com, on Twitter, at critcatastrophe, or you can leave a voice message on Anchor. All those links will be in the episode description. Whether you have a tabletop experience or a creative product in the tabletop space that you'd like to share, just feel free to reach out. Thanks everyone for stopping by, and I hope you have a lovely day. Remember, the dice don't run the table. <laughs>